Good evening and welcome to Steadfast. I am so glad to be with you once again as we continue our series, Unfollow. We're thinking about bad leaders and bad philosophies that we get sucked into as Christians and start following what we're really called to do is follow God's word. And that's the heart of where we're going tonight. We've been thinking about examples of that over the last few weeks. We thought about legalism and, and all the additional rules that we often create as human beings. We thought about the opposite, license, where where people say, well, God doesn't really care what we do. And then we've thought about how leaders often distort the different rules and the freedoms of Christianity for their own benefit. And that's what we looked at last week. This week, what we're doing is looking at how we examine those things that we think might be biblical. Because a problem that we run into as Christians is we start to to look at what are really worldly philosophies, really things that, that don't belong to the realm of God, and yet we start to think that they are the gospel rather than the true gospel being the gospel. So let's come before our God, ask for his wisdom and discernment, and then we'll dig in. Let's pray. Father, so often we see things, we learn things, we are attracted to, to the things of this world, and as we latch onto them, we, we want to think that they are of you. And sometimes they're even good things, things that are of you, but we we place in a place of, of greater importance than what you intend. Lord, would you give us wisdom that we would see what you would have us to see, value what you would have us to value, and that in everything we would cling to your truth above all else. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever had that experience? Maybe it's driving through a parking lot. Maybe you're going down the road, stop at a stoplight, and there is a beautiful brand new car in front of you. It's a really nice car. Maybe it's the car you really wish you could afford but you can't, or a car that you wouldn't even necessarily buy, but wow, is that a neat car. And you see this car, and it's beautiful, and it looks like it go really fast. The color is just perfect. The The paint is amazing. The, the windows are, are really interesting. Maybe the headlights are, are really eye-catching, all these things. And then you look at the bumper of that car, and you see this big old bumper sticker stuck to it, or maybe several of them. And you look at this car, and this is the car, if, if someone handed you $100,000 and said, go buy a car for yourself, you have to use this for for a car, this would be the car you'd buy, and yet someone took this bumper sticker, this this cheap piece of, of plastic with some sticky stuff on the back of it, and it adhered it to this beautiful masterpiece of a car, and you think, how in the world did someone do that? How could they possibly do that? Maybe it's a house you drive by, you think, boy, I'd love to live there. And yet someone has taken just this really awful uh, plastic, obnoxious statue, something that looks like it, it, it's it's a, a mockery of even some of the crazy stuff that used to show up along the highways, and they've just stuck it in the middle of the yard, and it's taken away from the beauty of it. There, there's lots of examples of this sort of thing, where there's something that we think is really wonderful or beautiful, something that we'd love to have, and yet someone else has taken it and treated it like it didn't really matter that much. And you think about that car with all those bumper stickers on it, and we think, how could you do that? If you try to remove those bumper stickers, you're going to ruin that beautiful paint job. Why would you have that fine car and, and just do that to it? Yeah, we have the gospel, and we do that to it all the time. We take the beauty of God's word and his truth, which is far better than anything we can find in this world, and we take some worldly bumper stickers and we stick them to it, and it, it says, you know, visit the caverns or, or 
I, I went and saw this site and all I got was this lousy bumper sticker. We have those sorts of things attached to it. And I want to say, what are we doing? And yet we do it over and over again. And, and we don't necessarily realize we're doing it in the moment. We, we think somehow we're improving or, or we're clarifying. We're putting a bumper sticker over something that we might get confused about. And yet we're really taking this beauty of God's word and turning it into something far less beautiful. Something that isn't leading us to our God. And that's what Paul addresses in, in Colossians 2. We've already been there in this series. We're going back there tonight to Colossians 2, verse 8. Take a look at what Paul says. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. You, you see, we are followers of Jesus if we are Christians. If you've decided to follow Jesus, you have Jesus himself, and yet there's all these worldly philosophies constantly calling to us. And, and sometimes it's the philosophy itself that we start to follow. Sometimes it's someone who promotes it. Maybe they, they have a, a great presentation of it. Maybe it makes a lot of sense. Maybe it speaks to us in the moment. And so we start to follow this philosophy or this leader who promotes this philosophy. And we, what we're doing is we're taking God's word and we're baptizing it into the world. God's word calls us to take this truth and apply it to the world, to baptize the world, to see the world transformed, to, to, to do our part to proclaim God's kingdom. But we do the opposite and we proclaim the kingdom of the world unto God's word. And sometimes it's, it's the legalism we were talking about a few weeks ago where there's some hobby horse of ours that, that we wish people wouldn't do. It's not necessarily forbidden by scripture, and yet we wish people wouldn't do it. So we turn it into something that we adhere on to God's word. Sometimes it's the opposite that we've talked about, the license, the the moral laxity. And, and, and so we cover up parts of God's word that call us to, to righteousness and integrity. Sometimes it's that self-interest we talked about last week, our own or the of, of leaders that we want to follow, and, and we start attaching that so that it can promote them and their brand. Sometimes it's something else. There's lots of different things we, we can potentially attach to God's word, but the, the key thing we need to do in everything we approach is ask some questions. And the starting point of those questions needs to be this. Do I test what I follow with God's word? Am I willing to examine everything that I follow, everything that I hold dear as far as my, my principles and values by the unchanging principles of God's word? That's what we saw in Acts 17. We've looked there in the past. I, this passage is one that I believe every Christian should be deeply familiar with. We have this little story in Acts 17. Paul and his associates go to a town called Berea. And we're told of, of the Bereans this. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They have the Apostle Paul show up. They have others who are in that first generation proclaiming God's word, explaining how Jesus is the Messiah. And what do the Bereans do? Well, clearly they're looking somewhat favorably on Paul. They're willing to hear him out, but they don't just say, well, I, I think I like this guy. This guy seems to speak to me. This guy speaks to where I am and, and uh, he's really nice to me or, or 
he's not, I like him better than the, the boring guy that normally speaks or, or whatever it might be. So I'm going to follow him. He, he, he proclaims grace. I, I'd like more grace and less legalism. Okay, I'm going to follow him. No, no, what do they do? Where do they start? They go to God's word. They, they turn to God's word. And they examine it every day. And we're told that these people were noble because of that. You see, some of the other places that re- rejected Paul, they, they heard him. They didn't go and, and see if what Paul was saying was actually true according to the scriptures. They, they said, it doesn't fit the bumper stickers we'd have adhered to God's word. It doesn't fit what our hobby horses are. So they chase them out. Now, obviously, in every synagogue that they went to, maybe not every, but most, some people heard there was there were conversions. We have a church today, thankfully. But there were a lot of people who were too busy looking at their bumper stickers and missing out on the beauty of what God had made. The Brians were different. The Brians were both, in some sense, less likely just to go along with the speaker. We're told that they actually turn and they examine what, what Paul is saying. But as they're doing that, they're not doing that so they can just find some proof text to say, well, Paul, I don't think you addressed this well enough. I'm done with you. No, what they're doing is saying, Paul is communicating to us about who this alleged Messiah is. Let's figure out if he really is the Messiah. Let's figure out if this message is true. And what do you know? Of course, it was true because Paul was preaching the true gospel of Jesus. That's the part where we need to start. Are we testing the things that we follow? And not just, am I following Jesus or not, but but all the things that we start to associate with that and what a Christian should be and what we should be as Christians and how we should live our lives. Are we taking all those things and going to God's word and saying, does it accord with God's word? Or do we like it because our favorite author or our favorite preacher or our favorite television personality or our favorite blogger says it's okay? How are we examining things? Are we willing to go to God's word on our own or do we go to someone else and say, should I believe this or not? God calls us to actually turn to his word and see what his word says. And and may we do that every day. And critically, this is really, really important. We don't just see if it fits. Then it matters, well, what's my reaction when I find out something I'm doing doesn't fit into God's word, doesn't fit into his will for me. And that's what we see, for example, in 2 Kings chapter 22. We read about the story of King Josiah, one of the good kings of Judah, and he finds out that they found the book of the law. And it says, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. Now, why did Josiah tear his clothes? They, they'd lost the law of God, and we know that if you have read through the story of the kings or, or heard it summarized, we, we know that many of the kings did not seek the Lord, and very few of them, even the, the good ones, fully sought the Lord. And so when Josiah hears what God's word says and what the people are supposed to do, and he realizes how far short they've fallen, his reaction is to tear his clothes, a sign of mourning, a sign of distress. He he realizes they've fallen short. When I examine the bumper stickers I've adhered to my life, am I going to react the same way if they don't fit God's word? Or do I just say, well, it's not that big a deal? Or I'm going to think about it. Maybe I can figure out a way to make it work. What is my reaction? And once I have that reaction, what do I do about it? Back to 2 Kings, next chapter, chapter 23. says of King Josiah, And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord, 
to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people joined the covenant. You see, Josiah doesn't just say, well, I think I kind of want to follow the Lord. I'm going to stick on some religious bumper stickers and and look pretty pious and, and move on. He doesn't say that. And he he examines what's going on by the law that he has read to him. And, and when he does, he reacts to that. He says, whoa, wait a second here. We're really messed up. I'm really messed up. But even then he doesn't stop there. Because sometimes we can. We get lost in, in mourning over the places where we haven't matched God's word. And then we don't do anything about the fact that we don't match God's word. We just keep cruising along. Bumper stickers already adhered. We'll never get it off. But the healthy response is what Josiah does here. And Josiah's even told the end. He's told that the people of, of Judah have already been so wicked that God's judgment is going to come. But he realizes that in his moment, he has the opportunity. Is he going to follow the Lord or isn't he? He chooses to follow the Lord. And the people follow his example. Now, I don't think there are any kings listening tonight, but all of us are going to influence some people's lives. Maybe not as much as King Josiah, but we need to understand that we do have an influence. And so when we're willing to do that, when we're willing to, to let go of, of the things that we think are, are good and proper when we realize that they actually don't match God's word and seek to follow him instead, just as the people follow Josiah, sometimes we're going to have opportunities to see people watch our example and choose to follow God. And so it affects both us and others. We, we need to be showing the truth and the beauty of what is tr- from God, not what's of the world. So it's so important that we see when we do the scriptural test and we actually respond to the scriptural test, we're making a genuine difference and we're doing what we're called to do as Christians, to go and make disciples. We're helping to disciple other people as we allow God's word to disciple us. And, and then as we gather together as the body of Christ, as the church, we do that for each other. As, as all of us hold each other to account like the Bereans did and actually say, let's go and look at what God's word says, we're encouraging each other to be better examples, to, to help other people understand who God is, and to help each other in the church to understand who God is. So that's the starting point. And that if, if we just did that faithfully, that would be enough. But we're going to look at two more questions tonight that, that help kind of bring that into focus. And, and one of them is... Am I allowing the the world to restrict what scripture means? Because while it's easy enough to say, well, just go and turn to the scriptures, we're pretty good at doing mental gymnastics and finding a way to somehow read the scriptures in in, in a sense that would affirm whatever it is we already want to have affirmed. But that's not what Jesus calls us to. Take a look at the Gospel of Mark chapter 7. Jesus is criticizing the the religious authorities and he says, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your, your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. 
what's Jesus talking about here? Well, there's several different traditions at play here. And part of them, he says, are a faithful understanding of what God has called us to do. And part of them, less so. So the starting point, of course, is the commandment to honor one's father and mother. It's one of the Ten Commandments. And many of the teachers of the law held it was perhaps one of the most important of those commandments. Jesus clearly values it as well here and says this is an important thing. And part of the interpretation of that, and it seems like a good one, is that one is called to care for one's father and mother. If they ran into financial trouble later in life or needed some kind of help, that one should do it. And this is particularly what's in sight here, that one might be in the middle of a more successful life and have some finances that could potentially help one's parents. And so the teachers of the law would have said, well, then you should help your parents if they're in distress, that they need financial help. You shouldn't just say, well, that's nice, too bad. But what if you don't want to give that money? What if you think, well, I'd really like to, to buy a nice new set of scrolls instead? What, what if today we'd say, well, I'd really like to go on a vacation instead. I'd really like to buy a boat instead. And we're not just merely talking finances here, but that's the particular example Jesus is examining here. There's this command that, that everyone agrees is really important to honor one's father and mother. And then there's, well, but what if it gets in the way of what I want to do? Then what? And Jesus says, well, you've come up with a really clever way to deal with that because another thing that we find in Scripture is that one can take a vow to dedicate oneself or one's property to the Lord. And so what the religious authorities would do is take their finances, the ones that could potentially help their parents in their time of need, and say, oh, well, I'm sorry, Dad. I was, I, I know you're in deep trouble, but, but I, I gave this over to the Lord. This is his now. Now, now, the funny thing about this, and it's a, a horrible loophole, is that, especially for these religious teachers, they, they're doing God's work so they could declare it to be the Lord's and then hang on to it for themselves because it would help them do whatever they wanted to do and they're religious teachers, they're faithful, allegedly, to the Lord. And so it was a way to say, I want the, these funds to be unavailable to help my parents, but not unavailable to me. They weren't declaring it to be dedicated to the Lord and then handing all over to the temple funds so that it could be used by others. No, they were hanging on to it for themselves and how they would use it in their own judgment for what they thought was good, what they wanted. In a sense, you might say this was sort of a, a religious IRA account. You, they were they were putting it into their, their individual religious account and stashing it in there, and it couldn't then be distributed to just anyone. They couldn't give it to their parents because then they'd be violating this vow before the Lord. It had to be used by them because they're the ones doing the religious work. And so it is that this very clear command to honor one's father and mother, that they had rightly understood to, to apply in different ways, such as caring for an elderly parent, had now become something that they created a loophole to dodge, allegedly in the name of following the Lord. It was a worldly philosophy that crept in, completely baptized by language that sounded faithful. But it was strangling their actual adherence to, to God's word. While they were seemingly doing all kinds of good things, they were actually doing quite evil things and doing it in the Lord's name, which makes it even worse because now they're basically, as much as they try to avoid it, blaspheming God. They weren't using his name in vain, vocally, but they were using it in vain by placing his name on top of something that wasn't actually good. 
And in that, it's sort of like if you've ever seen someone plant some trees and they stake up those trees. And uh, apparently, I, I didn't realize there was this huge debate on it, but there's a debate on whether trees grow stronger if you stake them up or you don't. But but setting that aside for the moment, you, you'll often see people stake up trees and, and then they'll they'll leave them there and the trees grow and no one ever comes back and unstakes the tree. The, that cable is still coming down to that little stake. And, and over time, the tree, as the tree grows, it starts to grow over that that cabling, that, that rope, and it basically strangles the tree. And oftentimes the tree will end up breaking there. It will swell there and not grow in a healthy manner. And a windstorm will come along and, and the top of the tree falls off or the tree slowly dies because it's it's being choked to death. It can't get the the water that is pulling up and the nutrients it's pulling up from the ground properly to places. And, and it's weakened structurally. And all these bad things happen by something that was supposed to support the tree. I'm sure we've all seen that, where a tree's growing around something that's actually getting in its way. Well, when we take God's commands and we start to, to reshape them to allow us to get away with things, we're basically doing the same thing. You have here several good commands. You have the command to care for one's parents. You have this command to set aside and, and dedicate things to God and to be faithful to the vows we make. And they're taking those and they're sticking them together in such a way that something that potentially was good, is actually strangling their relationship with God. They're restricting how scripture should function, this scripture, for example, to care for one's parents, by what they really want to do that's a worldly philosophy, have more money and have it in the way that they want it. Healthy following doesn't allow the world to restrict scripture, but rather allows scripture to restrict our interaction with the world. And what we need to do if we're going to actually be healthy followers is make sure that as we seek to be in the world, and Jesus doesn't tell us to pull completely out of the world and ignore everything in it. We're, we're called to be good neighbors and good citizens and all these sorts of things. But what we need to do is make sure that we don't become so worldly that we think our culture or some part thereof actually is completely faithful to God. We look at maybe our little regional culture or our national culture, our particular interest groups, our political parties, and, and whatever ones we adhere to, we start to, to reshape the scriptures and allow them to start being those straps around the trunk of scripture. And over time, it starts to starve off our ability to actually have the scripture speak to us. One thing that we should do, even when we come to a, a philosophy in the world that seems reasonably good, be very on guard if we start to think, this perfectly describes how a Christian should live. If your favorite political party you look at and you think, this is the Christian party, it's doing exactly what Christians should do, beware because there isn't such a thing. There isn't a party that perfectly adheres to God's word. If you think, well, this part of the country and its culture, it is so biblical, it is basically heaven on earth, there might be a lot of good things in it, but beware because every part of culture, every place, every region is going to have blind spots to God's word. And the moment we start to think that it perfectly adheres, we've shut down the ability for scripture to speak into the places it does not. It's not going to be that way. And so when we tell ourselves it is, we're putting those straps on those stakes on and we're choking out the, the work of the scriptures in our lives. We're saying to the Holy Spirit, I don't want you to come into this part of my life because I like it and I want to hold on to it. This is so, so important for us to do. And there's another question we should ask that 
speaks to something very similar and, and sometimes overlaps, which is, do I understand the difference between what scripture says is allowable and what scripture says is necessary? In a sense, we saw that with the example I was just speaking of, that that the Pharisees were, were taking something that was allowable, dedicating funds to the work of God, including the work that they were doing for God. That wasn't necessarily bad, but they were using that to avoid doing something that was necessary, honoring one's father and mother. So they'd taken something that was allowable, it wasn't a sin in itself, and it turned it into a sin by allowing it to trump something that God required of them. And Paul is talking about that when we turn to Romans 14. We looked later in Romans 14 a few weeks ago, and the setup for this chapter, he's talking about people who are arguing over what they should eat and not eat and observe and not observe. And those that, that think that they need to be more strict are those whom Paul calls the weak. And let's pick up there, verse 1. Paul says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Now, this is speaking of religious observances of festivals and foods and so on. That's the particular problem that Paul is addressing, and he addresses this also in 1 Corinthians, but it applies to anything. And sometimes there are things that are good things, even faithful things to do or not do, that aren't required by God, that people of goodwill can have a difference of opinion on. Again, many of the examples we were just speaking of, maybe it's our own regional culture. Maybe it's a political position we hold where, where the Bible doesn't speak directly to it, but a faithful understanding of scripture has driven us to a particular understanding. We need to be careful with those things, and we need to be careful with the things we say, you must hold to this or you're not a faithful Christian. Because oftentimes when we do that, and it's the, the cultural things that we're wanting to hold on to, what we're really doing is we're adding to God's word. We're sticking those bumper stickers on and saying, you're not a Christian unless you do this or that. We're actually obscuring the things that scripture is very clear on. Now, I'm intentionally not naming, for example, when it comes to politics, a particular example, because if I did, inevitably someone would say, well, but that is a good thing. And oftentimes they are. But let's be on guard that, for one, we're testing it to make sure it really is from Scripture and not just something we're absorbing from culture. And even as it is something that we're driven to by Scripture, that we understand the difference of when Scripture requires us to take a particular stand and when Scripture allows us to interpret it that way. Because sometimes things are truly matters indifferent, as theologians have called it. May we know the difference. A few weeks ago, a, a national-level politician gave a speech in which he said that the American Constitution was written by God. Now, he was rightly condemned, and may we all condemn him. That, that is heresy. It's blasphemy against God to say that the U.S. Constitution was written by God. It was not. It was written by human beings, many of whom didn't even believe in the God of the Bible. That's not to say it's not good. I'm thankful to live here in the United States. I'm thankful for the freedoms we have here, the freedom that allows me to be with you tonight on this live stream, where in many parts of the world I couldn't do this, or I couldn't do it safely at least. 
I'm thankful for those things. I'm glad for that constitution. I appreciate it and how it works. I think it's a good system of government, maybe even the best system of government we could have in this world. But one thing that's very clear is it's not from God. It's a flawed system. The best political systems in the world are flawed. The best nations in the world are flawed. And so the problem with this politician is he was trying to say, this is from God. And if the Constitution is from God, then every Christian in the world ought to be following that Constitution because that's apparently God's form of government. But what does that say to someone who lives, say, in the United Kingdom and is a faithful Christian? What does it say about someone who lives somewhere, say, in Africa and is following the system of government in that country, say, in Ethiopia or South Africa or wherever it might be? What does it say to that person? What does it say to someone in Asia who's following a different system of government? Now, we might say at times, well, clearly there are some systems of government that are more opposed to who God is and, and those that are more amenable to the Christian life, and that's true. But we need to understand the difference between when something is of God and, and God's word is of God. Jesus, the Son of God, is God himself. The Holy Spirit is God himself. But those things that we do in our own earthly wisdom from our minds that God has given us, those things are not necessarily of God. And may we take what's good about them and hold on to it. But we run into a really dangerous thing and, and we really want to do it because we want to hold on to what we value when we take the things of this world and say, this is God's, this is from God. And not something that we just thank God for the blessings of how it benefits us in as much as it allows us to be faithful. May we not take any system or culture or political movement or, or anything else in life, anything that we hold dear to and, and make it of God, unless it genuinely is something that scripture says, this is how you must do it. To avoid falling into worldly philosophy, to, to avoid being taken captive by it, like Paul warns us at the beginning of, of what we've been looking at tonight in Colossians 2.8, to avoid those things, to avoid worldly philosophy, we need to be wordly. We need to be in his word. And, and may the reason that we like things and we love things and we fight for things and we stand for things be because God's word calls us to. And may we stand where God stands and where God is silent, may we be silent. Doesn't necessarily mean that those things are always good or bad. But may we know what God values and have the same heart that he does. Let's pray that we have that tonight. Will you join me? Father, too often we, we want to stand where the world stands and we end up being silent where you stand. Would you help us to value what you value, to hold on to the things that you want us to hold on to and, and not the things of this world, not things that just please other people. May we truly have your heart, Lord. May we hold on to your gospel above all. And by the power of your spirit, would you help us to be those who are discerning and wise, knowing your truth and fleeing the error of the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope this was an encouragement to you tonight. It's challenging if we actually allow this process to take place in our lives, because there are places we don't want it to. But the more we do it as Christians and as the church, the more we say to the world, we really are different. We genuinely believe God's word. This is what drives us. Not the things that everyone else in the world is driven by. This is what's important. And, and may that be how we live this day and every day. And I'd encourage you, if you know someone who's struggling with how to sort things out, consider sharing this video tonight. And certainly, please do give it a like. Maybe leave a comment about some place where you feel like 
this really speaks to you, you can help us get the word out and we can continue to dig in God's word together. Speaking of digging into God's word, we are going to continue our series on Sunday nights this coming week at 5.30 p.m. in person and online. We're digging into being citizens of joy from the book of Philippians. We're looking at Philippians chapter 3. What does it look like to belong to God's kingdom? And I encourage you to please join us. Whether you can be there in person, that'd be great to see you in person. If you can't, please do come online and let's dig into God's word together. Let's be wordly and not worldly together. If there's any way I can encourage you this week, if there's any prayer requests you have, questions you have about what we've been talking about, or anything else, feel free to shoot me an email at the email address on screen, or leave a comment in the comments below. It's always a joy to hear from you. Hope you have a wonderful and blessed week, and I can't wait to see you again very soon.